Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The Human Race podcast discusses subjects that will be upsetting for some, including infertility, miscarriage, and stillbirth. Support is available. Check the show description for details. This episode also contains some strong language. Kia ora and welcome to The Human Race, a podcast about those who are in the race of their lives to create a life. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and for the past four years and counting, I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. So we wanted to bring you stories from those people that have been through it. So even if you don't want to talk about it, maybe those stories can give you hope or at the very least make you feel a little less alone. This is a collab podcast between Stuff and Wabi Sabi Media. Sharon and Bryce Casey are a media power couple. It sounds like a cliche, but it's true. They front some of the biggest radio and television shows in the country. But they have been on a hell of a ride to have their two kids, Tyson and Reuben. First, there was a five-year-long battle to have Tyson, then a whole other series of complications on the road to welcoming Reuben. So they know intimately how difficult and how isolating that process can be, and we're very lucky to have them on the human race. Kia ora. Kia ora. Good morning. (laughs) Hello. Hey, we really appreciate you bearing your soul a little bit for us. Um, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. I sort of almost feel like we have to start with a trigger warning because... Your story starts with miscarriage, right? And I know that that's all too real for too many people. But I guess it's the reality of your story. You didn't have any trouble getting pregnant to begin with, right? It was about staying pregnant. Yeah, and I think that that's why Bryce and I are really, uh, we're pretty open about it because when we had our first miscarriage, we didn't know anybody that had had one, let alone find a resource like this where you could hear people talking about their experience where they went through similar things. So I think that's one of the privileges of our job is that we can start those conversations and have those conversations. And once we were a bit more healed, we managed to start having those conversations more often. So Yeah, I was slightly different. Like I, I knew people that had had them, like, but I obviously hadn't had the feeling of knowing what it feels like to be uh, in the position of directly having it. I, I'd always known about them because my mum, I remember my mum saying that she'd had them and she also lost a baby, my brother Sean, who was the firstborn of my parents. He died sh- uh, sort of uh, shortly after birth, about sort of five or six hours after birth. So we'd always been told right from the get-go, um, ever since I've been around, that we always had my brother Sean and he was the oldest and then that they'd lost them in between. So I'd always been really aware that that was a thing that they could happen, but obviously you don't know what that feeling is in your uh, own environment until you're sort of faced with it. So Yeah, and I, re- I remember you opening up on the project one evening, Bryce, yeah. um, and talking about how you, you do miss every single child that you do lose. And yeah. that you guys had done some nicknames for um, the ones that you lost? Yeah, so we've got, uh, so our first one, I'm, I am like sure, I don't know why, but every time I got pregnant, from the moment I got pregnant, I was like, it's a boy, it's a girl, like whatever. And I'm so sure that our first uh, baby was a girl and we called her, we used to call her Bunny. Mm. And then we didn't really have a name for the second one because it happened, you know, so early. If I hadn't done a pregnancy test, you probably wouldn't have known. Uh, But Tyson, our oldest, has named uh, that one Pookie. (laughs) I don't know why. Uh, And then our third one we called Sharky uh, because Sharky looked like a shark on on the scan. Yeah, yeah. And Sharky was around for he was Sharky was the longest. Yeah, so Sharky was them. the Sharky was the only one that we heard a heartbeat for, and had st- we thought that that was going to be the one that was going to happen, but uh, it didn't. Happen. Yeah, and that I guess the heartbeat thing is what makes it so very real. Like yeah. there is that pulsing, 
blob on the scan that yeah. is the potential of a baby. I remember that night on the project because I think I was filling in for Kanoa mm. that night. And I remember kind of futilely patting you on the shoulder because you got quite choked up with emotion. But then afterwards thinking how beautiful it was mm. to hear a man expressing his emotions about fertility. Yeah. Well, so there's two, yeah, there's a few things to that. Like one, it's, it's I mean, obviously it's great to show emotion. That's one thing I learned through radio previous to um, even the fertility chat was when we first sort of started showing emotion in and around when we were doing the mental health chat. Um, and for those who don't know on, on the show, we've sort of had about three or four years of fundraising for Gumboot Friday, right? And that's because I'd lost a family member to suicide and continued to lose different friends. And then we realized the platform we had and started talking about it. And with those fundraisers uh, came the ability to show the emotion. And then we realized how good that was and how cathartic it is to show emotion, blah, blah. And so I, I realized at that point that it was good not to hide it, to embrace it. And so when I was doing that night on the project and I knew that obviously we were going to be talking about um, fertility, I was like, oh, well, something might come of that tonight. I don't know. But I, I remember being conscious of not fighting it when it was happening, but I also didn't think it was going to choke me up that much. But as soon as I was talking about it, um, yeah, I just remember going, oh, no, here, <laughs> here we go. But it always feels like when you're a little bit emotional, it feels like you're – way more emotional than what you are like you know then when I saw it afterwards I was like I, it wasn't like I had a complete um, breakdown by any stretch but I yeah it's, it's funny when you do it but I, I knew it was a good thing to do at the time if that makes sense like I knew once I'd done it I thought it's good to show emotion it's it shows you care it means it was real and um, yeah you're not crying yeah, I was over aware it. of it spilling Milo on your shoes like if anyone was going to mock you yeah. about cl- crying about a miscarriage then yeah, I was no, probably uh, not a great human. Yeah, I, I wasn't. So yeah, I don't even mean that. I don't mean like being mocked. I just remember knowing from the previous stuff with the other chats. I knew that the when you have that platform, I guess it's just because I'm a little bit older now. I'm more self-aware with the platform that we have. That by you doing things that might not have normally been a comfortable thing for you, I know the greater good of them now, if that makes sense. Yeah, that it can provide um, yeah. the permission for someone else yeah. to be honest about Correct. their emotions if they're struggling to do that. Yeah, yeah it's an awesome thing. And so if we sort of step back a little bit and talk about, so if you've had you've had two miscarriages, at that point is your doctor like, okay, let's get to the bottom of this, let's see what's happening and, and find out how we can fix any issues there may be? Well... Not really. So our initially with like the with the GP, you I ended up changing GPs. I loved her before that, but it was just I don't know. There's I feel like sometimes with people within these jobs, they get so used to seeing horrible stuff that they just kind of lack the office. Yeah, they kind of lack empathy. Absolutely. And so with like I remember even with our first scan and we I never went back to that scanning place. I was like, I'm never going back here. And we went there for a scan. We hadn't even considered that we could be having a miscarriage. And she was like, Oh, yeah, no, I can't, you know, maybe go empty your bladder. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, okay, that's really weird. She's like, oh, I'm not seeing anything. And And just on that too, not like well, I am interrupting, so not to say not to interrupt because yeah, it's exactly what I'm doing. But, <laughs> but my point being, though, like do you, when you when you're at those tests too, eh? Like even from a guy, but I know absolutely for you because you're the one with the baby in you. But you're so nervous when you're going to get those scans, mm. especially mm. first time, obviously. But even if things haven't gone well, the more and more, like mm. they're such nerve wracking things. So if anything, you um, are requiring a little bit more empathy and sympathy so yeah. yeah when they're saying go for a wee you're like oh okay you know off you go you're I remember already being, scared and nervous I remember being in the toilet and her saying to Bryce like oh this is really normal like if someone's uterus is like quite far back turns out I've got a deep uterus something I never thought I would say <laughs> and uh, so then I came back and she the internal scan she goes I'm not seeing a six week um, pregnancy here and I was like oh I must be further along than I thought and that was when she was like oh you're having a miscarriage and I was like oh oh, okay. And then I went home and I rang my GP. I was like, I don't understand. Like I'm still testing positive on the test. And that first time, no one even told me how to deal with a miscarriage. So I had to go to work that that day. And it wasn't until I had my second or third one, maybe even the third, but she didn't even tell me what to do. So I was using tampons 
so I had a miscarriage and I was at, I was about to start Dancing with the Stars, was about to get announced. So I basically, this happened on the Friday. Saturday, I didn't go to the rehearsal. I went to like a stylist thing and I had like severe cramps. I just started bleeding. I was using, ta- like just changing tampons all the time. Nobody told me that that could be infection. So I did, no one told me I was supposed to use pads. So that whole time I used tampons and then, so I could have, really screwed myself um went through that whole thing while I don't like that day was a blur like I just worked pretty much the whole day recorded the announcement recorded our show we were doing at X Factor did a radio show with a wheat and I remember Guy Williams and and Clint Roberts I was doing the show with at the time would go and heat up my wheat pack for me like through the whole thing and they'd do my makeup and that well they wouldn't the makeup artist would and then I would cry I would not let Guy Williams near my face with makeup (laughs) I would I, I just remember they would they'd go out and then I'd come back and I would just be crying, like sobbing and like Guy or Clint's art, like just especially Clint, I would just be sobbing and no one told me what to do. So then once we got through that, I was like, okay, well, we can, I read online that you can try again after like, they recommend like having a period, like a full period and then hmm. trying again. So then we try again. We found out the morning after my friend's wedding uh, that I was pregnant and I had tested the day before it was negative. And I was like, oh God, Okay. So then I go. Do you and, drinks at the friend's wedding the night before? Is dude, that what you're freaking out about? Well, no. So no, this is the thing, right? Is like oh, I had. I always, if I was trying to get pregnant, would do a test if I was going to be having a few drinks, and I got hammered at that wedding, <laughs> and I barely drank that much. But it was like because I was pre whatever. But that wasn't why I had the miscarriage. Um, oh no, no, no! I wasn't <laughs> suggesting that. I just think it's that it's that layer of guilt with yeah. that you're like, oh, it must have been that. It Am I doing this. something wrong? Yeah. Is, why is my body behaving like this? Yeah, and so. I went and got like the blood test where they check your um your levels to see, you know, if you're pregnant and then they were quite low. So then I got the second blood test and they were also low, but I was ringing the doctor all day. I think I rang her about eight times being like, have you got my blood test results? And they're like, she has got them there. She'll call you later. Have you got my blood test results? I'm sitting at work waiting, waiting, waiting. She finally rings me back at five. And she's like, oh, sorry. I just, you know, I just don't like giving this news over the phone, like kind of nonchalantly. And I was like, are you joking me? Like I've been waiting all day to find out like whether I'm pregnant or not. And I remember hanging up the phone and running to my boss Leon's office, who was in a uh, meeting and just crying on the floor. And my friends like came in, but it was like this real lack of empathy. And the thing that she said to me on the phone, like sits with me so much was she said to me, well, you know, you've had two now. When you, If you have three or when you have three, then we can refer you to Fertility Associates on the funding. And I was like, I don't want to have three. I was like, I don't tell, I'm like, I'll pay. Like, I don't want to have three. So you've just been through this twice. If you yes. just go through it one more time, you can get or referred. find something out. Yeah. It's so what? Super fucked. Yeah. yeah. So we ended up paying and we went, we pay, I don't know, like you get a 10 minute appointment, you pay like. Are you talking now after two or after After two? After two. And I asked multiple times in the, so they did all the tests, did tests on Bryce, tests on me. I asked multiple times for them. I was like, are you sure you don't want to scan my uterus? Like someone told me in an ultrasound once that I had a heart-shaped uterus. Are you sure you don't want to scan it? No, no, I can see it on the scan. No, I can see it on the scan. I was like, okay. He's like, it's just bad luck. So then we get pregnant with Sharky. We hear heartbeat. I, at this point, had learned how to, read the screens and I've got the video still of Bryce being like yay Sharky and I'm just waiting for him to stop because I can see the heartbeat's not high enough and then we had to come back a couple of days later and his heartbeat had stopped Hmm. and it was awful and then so this time I was like I physically can't naturally go through another miscarriage and so yeah, we, please don't just send me off into the wilderness mm. to figure this out on my own again. again. Uh, so I went to we went to the hospital, and because it, it was further along too, eh? so yeah. you had to have the different procedure rather than passing it mm. naturally yeah. for lack of a better term. Because if you if I was doing it at home, I would have had to like examine to see when. Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so we went and have the D- DNC at the hospital, and at pure random. Um, Amar Alabid was our doctor and he did the procedure and he came in afterwards and I remember it so clearly and he was like, my name is Amar Alabid. Um, I just did your DNC. 
I, I'm pretty sure you've got a septum in your uterus. I can see it, which is basically like a piece of tissue that stops the blood from circulating the whole way around. So if your uterus is a circle, it like He described it to me as being an oven. He said, the bun's cooking in the oven. I was like, yeah, I'm with you, bro. You're talking in my language. He said, the bun's in the oven. He said, what's happening is your little babies or your little buns are only cooking on one side and the other side of the oven doesn't know that there's a bun so it's not sending through the heat. And he's like, I'm going to come and snip that part that that is shaped like the top of the heart and make it one big oven again so that when the buns are in there, it's the, gonna whole oven, the whole oven yeah. knows yeah. it's in That's there. That's a great explanation. And it's going to keep growing and getting bigger. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah I so understand was, what you're saying. And he was like, well, yeah, I can I can fix it. And I was, I was like, so what you're going to do is like, go back to your fertility doctor and get them to do an MRI because it must have been like less of a weight. So we went back to him. We got an MRI and it showed it. And they were like, you can either pay 12 grand to get it done privately or we could have waited three months for a ma. And I was like, I don't want anyone touching me apart from a ma. Mm. And so we waited for him, which was actually mentally really good for us because it gave us a chance to grieve. Yeah. And because yep. yes. I think when you have miscarriages, you can so quickly just go on to the next and you don't actually grieve properly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we went back. He fixed my uterus. He Three months later, we had the post-op. And then that was when we found out that um, – also when we found out that Sharky was a boy, like in the genetic testing and stuff. And then – he was like, come back, um, come back to me when you're pregnant. I'm also an obstetrician and I know you better than anyone else, even Bryce. And I was like, that's true. You'd be right up in there. And um, so then he was the first person I told, apart from Bryce, when we were pregnant, we Googled him and found his cell phone number on the internet. I'm like, hey, it's Sharon yeah. here. And I texted him at like 8 p.m. on a Saturday night and I was like, hello, Amar, it's Sharon Casey here. Um, you may not remember me, but I'm pregnant. And he was like, okay, this is what you're going to do. And then... That must have been so awesome for you, ha- having the GP kind of not give a shit or yeah. do you brush you off, and then the fertility doctors to be like, no, we know what we're doing, mm. you don't know anything about your own body, mm-hmm. to finally have someone who's going to advocate, advocate for you. on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was... What was also amazing um, about that was when we had Sharky, when we went back to say that... Um, to see if his heart had gotten stronger or stopped... There was this incredible woman. Do you remember her name that did the scan? No, I don't oh, remember I her name. I can't remember her name, but she was amazing. And she was one that actually said to me, um, because I was a mess, that she was like, push to get a DNC. Like, you should, you know. Because Sorry, just so um, listeners know what a DNC is. It is yeah. effectively cleaning out yeah. the tissue that remains yeah. in your uterus. And so... So you're under GA and everything. Okay. So they, um, so she said she, like, you should try and do that, like, because emotionally that's going to be a lot. And she was, like, the difference between her and the other sonographer was she had so much empathy and she really, like, we, like, it meant the, so much who, who to us. Who was the one that was, there was the really nice one that was the rock listener? Yeah, that's her. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Our favourite kind of sonographer. <laughs> well, but she just was so unlikely to be a listener of the rock too. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, not that there is one specific type at all. Like, I learned that more and more, but, like, much more so than any like other time. Like this, yeah, like nice sort of mum, yeah. almost slash nan sort of age. Yeah. She was like, oh, I love the rock. I was like, huh? But we ended <laughs> what up, the heck? We ended up sending her flowers and being like, you are so good at your job and what you said and the way that you treated yeah, us she was will stick with us gutted. forever. Um, and we sent her, I wish I could remember her name, but she was so awesome. But we yeah. were really lucky because we'd had so many people that seemed to like let you down. Let us down or... You know, yeah, but in the defence too, I don't, I don't know if they were trying to be mean or were mean. I, I just also think it goes back to too, and a little bit in their defence in a small way is that the numbers are so rife and so big that through pure scale of the numbers of you know if it's one in four pregnancies or whatever the end yeah. of miscarriage, right? Yeah. The numbers that they deal with, but it's never just a number to no, the people I, it affects. I know. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, you're, you're well, very I mean, I you're very that, empathetic. I know yeah. that. <laughs> I know that personally, but yeah, they they must see such high sheer numbers of it too. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. But I think it is something to be aware of is like, yes, you've obviously got to become numb to that sort of stuff, but remembering to have empathy because I remember just feeling like I was screaming in a room where no one could hear my voice. And yeah. it was horrible yeah. feeling. Yeah. So given that you'd experienced miscarriage four, three times. Three times, yeah. When you did conceive Tyson, you know, you got so excited at, at the first scan for Sharky. Yeah. How long was it before you felt like you could actually celebrate this potential? Oh, no, I, I was all, I was straight away as well. Like, I mean, I was, 
I'm always super excited. Like I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I may not seem it as I sit here uh, <laughs> with you guys, but I definitely am. Like all I ever wanted to be was a dad. You know, like mm. I, like genuinely, even like from when I was a little kid, I was the kid who we got a massive, big, extended family. My dad's one of ten, so we got heaps of cousins and all of that. And so I, I was always the one who played with the little kids and looked after them and babysat them and all of that sort of stuff. And so I always wanted kids. Like it was my dad's joke that. He'd wheel me out after a couple of drinks in front of his friends because I just used to ask what was a job when I grew up that I could look after kids or deal oh. with kids. And someone had told me it was a gynecologist and he'd wheel me out in front of people and be like, Bryce, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be a gynecologist. And everyone start laughing. I was like, what the fuck are they all laughing at? And then obviously I did not grow up to be a gynecologist. But, um, but yeah, like I so I always wanted to have kids. So yeah, any time I ever had any news, whether it was Sharon showing me the you know, positive little sign on the pregnancy test or let alone a heartbeat. Yeah, I was always super, what a, what super about? fizzed. Obviously, it came with a bit of like, oh, God. Reservation. But I, but I yeah. was so confident with the expertise of what that Dr. Amar was. And when he'd said, this is what it's going to be, this is how I'm going to fix it, you're going to have a baby boy. Like, he just was really believable. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, I, I remember having great faith. It wasn't smooth, though. So we went for... We went for this because I'd had miscarriages. You went for the scan at six weeks, and went in, and they were like, "Did did the external scan?" And then they're like, "Oh, we're gonna have to go internally." Blah blah. And I'm like, "Okay, here we go." I went to the bathroom to empty my bladder, and it was an absolute fucking massacre. Blood everywhere, like more blood than I'd ever experienced with miscarriages, and bright red. And I'm like, oh, no, it wasn't bright red. It was, like, dark, actually. But there was so much blood. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I went, walked back into the sonographer's room. And I was like. What have you done? I was like, there's no fucking point. There's no point. I was like, we need to go. I'm having a miscarriage. We need to go. And the sonographer was a different lady, but she was awesome. She was like, there's always a point. She's like, I think we should still check. Sometimes that can happen. And I was like, there's absolutely no point. And she was like, just let us look. Like, let's look. And I was like, fine. So I lay down. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm not, I was like, can you please turn the sound off? I don't want to hear a heartbeat. I don't want to. And can, I don't want to see the screen. And she went in and had a look. And she was like, you're not having a miscarriage. And I was like, what do, well, why have I got so much blood? And she, go, and she turned the screen around. And she's like, look. She was like, the sack is completely intact. Your baby is there. His heartbeat is perfect. And I was like, well, why have I got so much blood? There's so much blood. I went home and I remember standing over the basin and just being like crying. And we went to my new GP and um, I don't know why, but I took photos of the blood, which I will say now, when you're pregnant, take photos of everything. Like your midwives and your obstetricians have seen it all. So I showed her relationship. (laughs) I showed her the photos and she was like, oh, she's like, this is mechanical blood. And I was like, what, what is that? And she was like, you've had uterus surgery, you've had a DNC. So it's getting rid of all the shit that was like left behind to make room. She's like, so what you're going to do is you're going to go home and you are going to lie on the couch for a week and you are not going to move. She's like yeah, the, the only. She was right. like, "You're not going." She got stairs. Sleep downstairs. If you, the only reason that you get up is to go to the toilet, and you just lie down. Wow. And I was like, "Okay." So I text. I was talking to John and Ben at the time. Text them. Text Leon, my boss, and oh no, maybe I just text Leon, and they were just and he just like shut it down. He was like, "Sharon is not coming back to work for a week minimum, mm. like until blah blah blah." And then I remember my friend Morgan came over and gave me this like heart-shaped um, rose quartz and she was like, put it on your stomach. And so I kept it on my stomach. I carried it everywhere for my entire pregnancy with Tyson and it just stopped. And then he was, I had placenta previa because my placenta was in a like weird place. So I had to have him two weeks early. But from then on, he was a dream. But that's also Tyson's mentality is that like no one's going to stop him doing anything. He's a good fighter. <laughs> but it was. It all makes sense in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. And it was freaking terrifying. And I remember I was telling Amar too that I was, that I'd had the bleeding and he was like, don't you move off that couch. And he was awesome. But with that pregnancy, I don't think that I bought anything or got excited until 
past so, till, till like 13, 14 weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we were pretty reserved in oh, – were we, we were, were we reserved in telling – we didn't tell too many people, eh, because of the – too early on because yeah. of – Obviously, the fear for it, mm. yeah, of, of it not going well, like the others had, yeah. But the, but I wanted to tell everybody. I bet. <laughs> but when I got pregnant the first time, I went and bought this like fox yeah. toy straight away, and I just had this I'd drawer, buy, like, little Jordans and little vans yeah. and stuff. I had this <laughs> drawer excited, in our, yeah, in our spare course. room, which just had all of the one day stuff in it. And so Tyson sleeps with that fox now, oh. and he's like, "This was bunnies or whatever," but. And so yeah. you, you were saying that you, you've told him about the babies that came before yeah. him. He gets it. He, yeah. he knows their nicknames. He yeah, made he, one up. He thinks they're up. So obviously it's it's lovely because he's, you know, five now. But because um, death's obviously a weird thing to talk to, with kids about anyway. Or when I say weird, I more mean like it's you're not quite sure how much to tell them, how much they understand, all of that. So his, his thoughts are obviously that the anyone who's passed away is up in the stars. So um, that's the same for whether it be David Bowie, who he loves, or his you know brothers uh, and sister that isn't here. So, yeah, he, he's definitely aware of it. And um, he mentions it Quite he often. talks about a lot. He yeah. knows what Not, order they were in, and yeah. he says that... Um, He's aware. He's definitely aware. And he says that Sharky's... He will be like, and Sharky's job was so that we could meet a ma, and then you could have me and Ruben. And so... Because that's what we say to him. We're like, because if we... If I if we had never been pregnant with Sharky, if we had never lost Sharky, we would never have met a ma, which means we would never have had the boys. Which is why Ruben's middle name is a ma, because neither of them would be here if we hadn't yeah. met him. Absolutely random. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Tyson has, uh, I mean, because you, obviously you try and tell them the truth of everything, but to the level that you can to a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. He did ask if um, if if Sharky, one of the ones who didn't make it, um, hangs out with George Harrison from the Beatles, <laughs> to, which I did say he does. So He I does, yeah. Really he sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wasn't quite truthful in that part. Well, we don't know. He might be. <laughs> Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> if you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. So you mentioned Ruben, because it feels like you've had a pretty tumultuous journey to even having Tyson, but it Mm -hmm. feels like your your troubles weren't over. You know, you you, you decide to have a second child, you get pregnant with Ruben. At what point do you realise that things are not going to be straightforward? Um, well... Ruben was... Ruben's interesting. So when we got pregnant with Ruben, it was very exciting like because it took me it took a long time to convince me to have another baby and so then we get pregnant Tyson apart from that um bleeding early on was awesome he was such a great pregnancy like apart from that Reuben however had me so sick 
I'd be like throwing up in the morning and Tyson would be holding my hand out in the hallway oh, and I power trucked into paper bags in my car. Can I just at this point say I was at work? I he was at work. He was at work. I wasn't playing golf and stuff. But my pregnancy with Rupert was so different. And I wonder if the second is because you can't just lie on the couch and be a piece of shit when you want to. And so I was horrifically sick. I was so tired. I'd say to Bryce, I'm just going to go lie down for half an hour. And then I'd wake up four hours later and I'd be like, oh, where have I been? (laughs) And so he was, yeah, he was a lot. And then we found out that I had placenta previa again, which is when your placenta is like over your cervix. So you can't give birth naturally. And when, when Amar told me that, I was like, Oh, oh, gravy. That's fine with me. Like I, like I'll have him two weeks early. I'll get a time and date of where my, my pregnancy is and I'll go get all my beauty admin done the day before. Like I did with Tyson. It'll be, it'll be great. So basically with like, your uterus, like first trimester, I'm not going to scientifically say this right, but you kind of have your first chamber of your uterus, your second trimester, it gets a little bit bigger, that's your second chamber, and then around about 24 weeks, your uterus opens up. Like the, It sounds like Harry Potter's chamber of yeah, secrets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so when there's that last stretching, that's when if you've got placenta previa that you have the potential of bleeding. So at this point, it's like everything's shut down. No working out, no no sex, no jumping, no, like, there's so much stuff that you just cannot do. No, like, you can't even, like, you can't even do non, like, and you know, like, you can't even read a horny <laughs> book. It's shut. Yeah. <laughs> so we, so, and, and if you have any bright bleeding, you have to get to the hospital, like, straight away. Mm-hmm. So one night, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. So... <laughs> One night I went to the bathroom and I had the bright red bleeding and obviously Tyson was asleep. Bryce is there and I was like, fuck. I was like, I'll just go. Oh, so I ring my midwife, Denise, who is a legend and start, I drive myself to the hospital and they do a check and everything's fine. And Amar comes in the morning of, and he's like, what? He's like, okay, what's going on? He's like, what were you doing beforehand? Like, blah, blah. And I was like, nothing. I was reading, a, oh, I was like, oh, I did read, I was reading um, a Sally Rooney book and it was like quite racy. <laughs> and I was like, the only thing I can think of is that I was reading a book like that was quite racy. I was also I was, walking around shirtless. Yeah, Bryce yeah, was like, <laughs> and he was like, okay, he's like, from now on, he's like, I don't know if that's it, but from now on, biographies. And thrillers. Yes, non-fiction. <laughs> yeah. like biographies and thrillers. I was like, all good. And um, But that was the start of six weeks of me being in and out of hospital. I think I was home for like three days in that six weeks. And it was COVID just, time too. And it was COVID. So, so no visiting one. was really hard. Like I couldn't take Tyson to go visit her. Um, we didn't have any family that were living up here at that point. So... Uh, yeah, we'd it's get not like you can get someone else to look after Tyson because n- yeah, we had yeah. a special yeah. dispensation for your mum to be able to come up from Wellington. That was when Ruben was born, and yeah. we had to get a, a letter from the hospital. Yeah, well, that was only when they were born, yeah. Bef- and we still didn't know until then. So before that, we basically had Lisa, our nanny, on standby twenty four hours a day. Like she'd just have her phone on, and we'd have to. And she had a bag in her car because I only had half an hour to get to the thing, yeah. to the hospital. So if Ty- Bryce needed to come with me, she could just get in her car and get to our house. And so she was incredible, especially because uh, he put me into labor three times. But especially the first time he put me into labor, I'd only been home for three hours um, from the hospital and then just went into labor and had like this huge bleed. And I was like, you're going to have to come with me because I'm having contractions. Like, because they were in the shower and then Bryce came out and I was like on the floor. And I was like... You're going to have to come with me this time. So we text Lisa. I was like, Lisa, I'm so sorry. Can you get to our house now? And yeah, because she... I couldn't take Tyson to the hospital because you weren't allowed to. Yeah. Because yeah. you couldn't obviously take other people in there. So yeah. stressful. So Lisa got to our house in 10 minutes. She just walked in and we walked out. And then I didn't see Tyson again for about two weeks. <laughs> but he, um, but she was an absolute rock star. Like we are so grateful for her because she was, our, she was our, like our only person in our bubble because mm. – like the family we did have in Auckland were in their own bubble because my cousin was about to give birth and, and things like that. And she just had a baby. So there was, it was, and one was like working in the hospital. So it was too much risk to put anyone in that yeah. bubble in our bubble. So she was in our bubble and yeah, she was awesome. But so then we finally like have Ruben and uh, then that's another seven weeks because he ends up being, uh, he, he was born at like 29 weeks and four days. 
So it was from 24 weeks, every day, every hour was an achievement to keep him in. Wow. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was it the doctors then who made the decision that said, okay, he has to come out now? Or did he put you into labour again? Or what uh, happened? He put me the night that he came out, it was their decision. But it did feel like, for I reckon, for a good week before it, that it felt like every shift, each doctors and nurses were just trying to get through their shift of not having to be the ones that were going to be the ones to deliver it. And I don't mean that they didn't want to do it. It was not more in a like bad it, was way. An, it was like their goal, you could tell each shift was to like get keep, through their shift and not have to there. make the call because yeah. they knew that every minute and every day that uh, baby was in there that it was obviously Counted massively beneficial and yeah. they'd already put Sharon on all the steroids and all of that stuff to, you know, boost and um, rapidly grow their all lungs, of their organs yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. And um, But then there'd been a couple of close calls and then that night that, uh, that he did come out sort of about five or six hours before it. They were like, nah, he he's, has to come and he has to come tonight. And then it became a thing of everything that could possibly else be happening. But they didn't make, surgery. they I, like, so basically that, that third, Bryce had just gone home because I'd just come back upstairs from being put into labor the second time. And that's when you get like um, the magnesium, which is like, basically I would, uh, they give you magnesium for the babies, like brain. And I, it basically makes you super hot and then puts you into this massive sense of doom, which mass, thankfully, um, Izzy, our midwife that was on shift was like, this is what you're going to feel. So when Bryce had got back to the hospital was when I was in the doom and I genuinely thought I was going to die at this oh point. I was like, gosh. I'm going to, cause panic I, attacky was what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I've seen Grey's Anatomy. So I was like, oh, and I looked at Izzy and I was like, I'm going to die. I don't want Bryce to see me die. And like somehow there was, we had about four or five shifts of midwives and they managed, they managed to keep him in. And then Bryce had gone home. I watched this like hip hop documentary, was eating my dinner. And then I was like, oh, I feel like, I'm, cause it, this is so graphic, but I'd pass these massive clots and I'd have to cat, like, they'd have to see them. So you'd either have to leave them in the toilet or try and catch them. And I was like, I don't want someone fishing my stuff out. <gasps> so <laughs> basically I could feel it and I went to like catch it so hot. And then, um, Basically, it was just looked like a crime scene. And the midwife walked in. She's like, oh, I'm going to get the doctors to come back. She's like, just stand there. And I'm standing in the middle of the uh, of the ward with a spew bucket under my bed. Oh my <laughs> trying to catch it. Honestly, it looked like a crime scene. And so they take me downstairs. And um, I remember Sarvana was our doctor. And she was in charge. And... She would just come in every hour and because they'd have to get in, they got in every like, um, I don't know what the big dog, consultant. So it was like an anesthetist consultant, all these different ones because they thought they are going to have to do three different surgeries at this point. And Southern would come in and she'd be like, okay, all right, sweet. And then she'd go and then she'd, come, she'd do a Caesar and then she'd come back and then she'd keep looking because every hour at this point that we kept Ruben in was like a, was helpful. And then I could see at one point, she still hadn't quite told me that we were going to be doing it to keep me calm. But I could see her. She's like, I'm just figuring out where I need to cut just in case we have to deliver him. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then she's like, okay, he's coming tonight. And she, like, was such a rock star. I remember just being taken into the room. There's, like, 12 people. And um, at one point she just, like, she's like, everybody stop. And she stands there with her hands on her hips and she, like, She's like, what's your job here? What's your job here? So everybody knew exactly what they were, they had to do because I'd had this traumatic experience like leading up. So she wanted me to feel safe. Oh, that's so the baby cool. to me feel safe about the baby. But I said to her afterwards, I was like, that was like one of the most badass girl power moments I've ever seen in my life. Like just seeing this because she's like, I hope she doesn't hear this and get offended. She's little, but she was standing there and she was just like, okay, what's your job? What's your job? You're going to do this. You're going to do that. I knew exactly what was going to happen. But when I woke up, it was like, what things actually happened? Like, did I have to get a hysterectomy? Did I lose part of my bladder? Is the baby okay? Thankfully, all I ended up having was a seizure. Those options were all on the table. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was so, wild. Bryce, you're he- sort of hearing all this stuff and watching Sharon go through it. Like, how are you dealing with it? Yeah, it was, uh, well, yeah, it was super hectic because, um, like, 29 weeks, you're really, 
pretty well aware of the risks and they obviously don't hold back on information as to what can or you know uh, might, might or might not happen so um, it was super scary was what it was and then obviously there's only so much you can do when you're a guy or husband partner whatever you are um, of showing support so that was happening so you're also trying to I'm trying to at that point um, reassure sharing, keep sharing calm, but then obviously in inside you're like, man, I all I want is this to go well, and then yeah, like there's a lot to get to. But to skip to the main part, obviously, yeah, we're in that surgery room. This is about one or two in the morning, I think, at this part. No idea. Yeah, one one <laughs> in the morning, and um, all these people are talking, and I'm sort of trying to keep sharing calm. And so yeah, you've got that in, your own internal thing going, and then. Uh, you leave, they do the surgery, and then I just have to walk around for, a, for, I think, a couple of hours, sort of sitting there, not knowing what's happening, what's going on, and then, sure enough, someone comes and gives you the tap on the shoulder, um, you know, come this way, and uh, I remember standing in this little closet area where they'd put me. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it was more than a closet, but it was something like a closet, and uh yeah, you just didn't know. I still didn't know what the story was at that point, like what had happened. And then, yeah, I got moved through into this little room, and that's when um, they had little Reuben in front of me. That uh, and uh, yeah, it was crazy. Like it was overwhelming. Is the best way to answer your question. I bet, I bet. It was really overwhelming. It was scary. It was overwhelming. It was um, it was a lot going on. They hadn't had much sleep, and so yeah. when you, anytime you add. Um, depriving of any sleep to anybody that just throws well, and you're extra emotions about into your it. Your wife, and, you're worried about your baby. Yeah, you totally. don't know exactly what's happened. Well, and I, knew, and like, I go back to the start. Like I knew what had happened with my own brother. You know, yeah. so that's really front of mind. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, had all that happening because it's like, well, he might be born, but that doesn't mean he's going to last out of the woods for any yet. Well, because yeah. amount of time too. You know, especially at that age. To their credit, the staff within NICU. It's at Auckland Hospital. Are so you're so prepared of what you're going to see. So like when they think you might potentially have a prem baby, they'll send down one of the doctors who takes you through. This is what could happen. This is what the baby will look like. This is what we'll then do to the baby, like to you know put them on their CPAP and stuff. Like they wrap them up in plastic to keep them warm, and they show. So when you go in, what you're seeing, it's. A lot, but it, you've kind of, you've been educated and you know what everything kind of is. But I remember the last conversation I had with Bryce. I don't know what it is about anaesthetists, but for some reason, in both of my birth experiences, anaesthetists must be part comedian. I and reckon as well. Whenever I go for surgery, they're like trying to crack jokes. I'm like, all right, mate. I love yeah. it though. I remember <laughs> both times that Amar put me under for my uterus surgery and to have Ruben, because I, uh, Tyson, because I was under GA for both births. You also thought he was hot. Let's not No, this is where I'm getting, getting to. This is where I'm getting to. Was it all the drugs? But yeah. when Amar put me under, he was like, okay, put the Jason PJ ZDM podcast on now. And I was like, f- and I remember going down, uh, going <laughs> under for my uterus surgery going, fuck you, Amar. <laughs> but you know how to push your buttons. So one of the in this one was very hot and um, so he was like talking to me to like distract me from everything that was going on and I was like trying to be cool like yeah what this is so funny and Bryce is looking at me like are you really like trying to flirt with the anaesthetist right now? Like y- you couldn't be more vulnerable. Anyway, let me tell you there's no hum- more humbling moment than have because obviously being locked down couldn't get to get a wax. There's no humble, more humbling moment than getting your pubes shaved in front of a hot anaesthetist. That was a very embarrassing moment. And I was sitting there and I just looked at Bryce and Bryce was like, like cracking up like I can see what's happening in your mind right now. It was a bad time. Oh, far but out. yes. But um, I like that we got was how was I feeling to your pubes getting shaved? <laughs> <laughs> M- moving it's right the ends, the ends of the spectrum, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. Despair and hilarity. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so we're in the pandemic. Um, Ruben is obviously in Niku um, at the moment. How how did you guys get to see him? Like, was is it easy to pop in and hang out and spend some time nah, with your child? It was the opposite. Uh, I mean, because yeah, because you couldn't visit him. We uh, they didn't. They weren't happy with it. They didn't like the rules, right? Um, Rules are rules because of you know everything going on, but um, we couldn't visit them. We couldn't visit Ruben together, so which is weird because we're in the same bubble because we live together. But obviously, Sharon was in hospital for a little bit after the birth, but um, so we'd have to go down separately, uh, which is really weird when you've got a baby like in its um, uh, little spaceship incubator, little incubator mm. bubble. 
it's really weird to be seeing a baby that's 29 weeks that's tiny that you can't go in and look at together, hold together, totally. or even support each other during it. And so I just added, it was just another level of uh, of everything else that was going on. And then also you had um, our son Tyson at home. And so he was aware that uh, not only mum was in hospital, but the his brother had been born, you know, that he'd seen growing in mum's tummy the whole time. So he couldn't understand why he couldn't meet the baby. Yeah, and, confusing um, for him. So yeah, it was just a, quite a lot going on at the same time. But then in saying that, the staff there were super awesome and super supportive and mm. were, they were really aware of that it wasn't ideal, but... It just was what it was with everything going on, you know, like, cause you don't want to, there's so many vulnerable babies in there that yeah. of course you're not going to rock the boat of saying, well, I think we should be able to do this when it's like, you know what, what the reasoning was, but it certainly added it to the difficulty sucked. of, of yeah. what the situation was. We didn't see him without a mask on until two days before he came home. And that was the first time we got to hold him together and also not wear a mask around him, which was I'll, I'll show you. I was, I was, it probably looked rude like I was looking at my phone, but I'll show you guys I just so what you, were doing. you know it. But so when I got, when you asked me what it was like when I, you know, when that was happening and how I was feeling. So when I was waiting in that room and then they brought me into this little mid room, they'd only at that point just pulled the baby out and then he gets rushed into the sort of middle part where the um, all of the, I guess, first respondents sort of best, is the best way to describe what they are, but they're the ones who it's their job to have the brand new prem babies and they wrap them up in all of the plastic and they get them breathing properly and all of that because I don't think he was breathing properly at that, that time when he came out, right? But this, so this, and I thought I'll film it because I don't know what I'll see or won't see, but this was what he, just to show you guys, but... This was my first seeing of him. Right, so, like, he's, so he's, like, he's he's wrapped up wrapped like a wrapped parcel up like that. Yeah, he's obviously tubes going mm. in. And he's and super he's tiny. So tiny. But like I haven't got big hands right, but yeah, you can see oh my goodness. like yeah. how little they are as must is just be overwhelming crazy. how vulnerable they are and how little mm. that you can do yeah. to yeah. influence the outcome. So like that's the Yeah, I mean like as I say, I've only got Little hands. Oh, well, I haven't got little hands. I haven't got big hands, but you can see, like, and he just can't for... even get his hand around one of your <laughs> yeah. fingers. Yeah, yeah. Like but when he was like five weeks old, he was the size of Bryce's hand, wow. which is buzzy. But so he. Bad. Yeah, and that was them with obviously in their little in spaceships. Their little spaceships, yeah. But so he... it's quite confronting. Yeah, absolutely. Confronting is a good word. But we were really lucky in the sense of like the nurses within NICU should earn way more money than they do because they yeah. basically, especially in, in COVID, when you couldn't see anyone they became like you became super attached to all of them they became your friends they they were the only friends that i saw for months like yeah, well, and, i could visit you for an hour a day during it yeah because of everything else i had going on whether it was work in the morning and then obviously tyson the whole time our other boy mm. in the afternoon and dinner because like without family that you couldn't just leave him i'm going to go to the hospital for a bit yeah, oh that's right he's four entertain yourself yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, Sharon would have, apart from everything else going on, she also uh, was a weapon because she had 23 hours a day to herself, which not many people would deal that well with anyway, you know. Well, and I guess layer into that, you've been quite open about the fact you've struggled with anxiety and as a a fellow sertraline convert, I've always appreciated (laughs) that about you. That's a drug you use for anxiety, Mm. by the way. It's amazing. Show footnote. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Lifesaver. How do you deal with your anxiety in a situation that, A, leaves an overthinker with a lot of time to think, mm-hmm. um, but is also just so inherently anxiety-inducing. I got my – I'm a routine freak, so I got myself into a routine. So I would get up in the morning. I would do this. I would do this skincare. I would walk around the ward. I would – you know, I'd get myself into a routine. Also, Amar and Denise were rock stars. Uh, Denise would come and visit me when she could. If not, she would call or she'd that send – our midwife. Our midwife. Or she'd send her daughter, who was like her partner midwife – um, and Amar would come and see me every single day and he would, I honestly, he would come in and he'd be like, what's the bleed? He'd read the notes and then he'd come and I'd show him a slideshow of my like blood that day. And he'd be like, and he'd like swipe through and be like, oh no, that's your friend. That's not you. Or like whatever. And, <laughs> and he came in and he was like, when you, when I panic, you panic. He's like, we're not allowed to panic or Google before then. He's like, if you're going to Google, it's a recipe and that's it. He's like, but there's no panicking unless I panic. I I, I thought maybe he panicked the, the when I got transferred, but he was like having your dad in the room and he was like on the phone getting me to Auckland because there was a moment they thought they're going to have to chopper us to the Waikato. And yeah, so it was it was a wild, but he, he I think 
the answer to short answer to your question was um, TV, Routine, Sertraline, Amar and Denise, and Bryce was the highlight of my day because he'd come up and visit me. But then he would also bring me um, these real good sandwiches. So then how do you prepare yourself to go home from the hospital without your child? Like that must be something The first time sucked so much. I remember I cried the whole way. Um, And then that awesome because you can ring them 24 hours a day. So if you wake up at three, because you've still got to pump as if you're feeding them. So you've got to get up, pump 15 minutes, go back to bed. And so you're still sleep deprived. But you could ring at three in the morning and be like, what's Ruben up to like how's he going blah 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 and I made a roster so my mum moved into our house for seven weeks and she usually lives in Porirua so she like came up and um she was a godsend and she basically ran our household looked after Tyson and I made this again routine of what we were going to do when we were going to do it who was cooking dinner my auntie Jam would like drop off lasagnas Mm -hmm. it was we just had a really good routine and also I made like two or three really good friends within the NICU who we just became each other's support systems and if I could if I was going home then their husband or they would stick their head in to see how Ruben was going and things like that so and we kind of did that for each other so I think it was just support and knowing it wasn't forever also, there's a great level of trust. Like by that point, you'd already yeah. developed really good trust with the doctors and the um, nurses and that, and you saw the way they looked after the other babies and they saw the way you, uh, you saw the way they'd looked after your own. So um, whilst it was super weird and that, you, I had great trust in them doing a good job. I knew that they'd get in contact instantly if they needed to. Yeah, and then also you were afforded, which is really a weird thing, with a new baby, a couple of hours sleep, which you normally wouldn't yeah. get yeah, exactly. as well. But um, they were also really thoughtful, like the fact that Tyson couldn't meet his um, brother for seven weeks. I came in one morning and one of the nurses, Tyron, had made um, a little card and laminated it um, with Ruben's footprints on it and like, to Tyson, I can't wait oh, to meet so you, and, and left that there for us. I don't think I even saw her in real life. And she had done that. And then one of the other ones, I think it was Stevie, like somebody went and um, laminated a sign because they have like these really cool like signs with like dinosaurs or whatever with their name on the incubator. And they made one the same as Ruben as for Tyson that we could take home. And then Little Miracles Trust gave us a book to take home for Tyson to teach him about prem babies and had these like little hearts where I would give one heart, like a material heart. Tyson would sleep with it and then swap with me and I'd give it to Ruben and that was so they you've just got this amazing the way they set up everything around you they really wrap around you and yeah it's trust yeah it's a big trust we should say that Ruben is now how old and he's thriving he's oh yeah he's (laughs) uh 17 months old but he's really developmentally he's only like 13 14 months old Mm -hmm. um but he the thing with Ruben is Ruben's awesome. He is the most determined child you'll ever meet. And the, I think that we learned early on that Ruben's going to do whatever Ruben wants to do when he wants to do it, including being born. He was in my uterus being like, this place is so fucking boring. Get me out. <laughs> it's and, cramped in here. Yeah. And, so <laughs> he, and that's how he came into the world and how he takes on the world. But he does it with a smile. And our job is to make sure he's not an asshole about it. But he's the sweetest, funniest, out the gate, little menace ever. Like he's awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's already done like four ram raids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> He, yeah. He's just sneaks out. Night. Night. There was a, he had a ute and there was an ATM on the oh, back. Right. Sure was Don't <laughs> even joke about it. No, he's honestly, and like we go to kindy and they're like, um, Ruben is just like the fastest child we've ever had here. Because yes. if you put him down, he'll be like, Voof, he's gone. Very he's, determined, yeah, yeah. Very smiley little fella. Yeah. Very lucky. I'm sorry you had to go through so much, but I'm so pleased that you have your two beautiful boys. Mm. And thank you for being so open about it. I genuinely believe that it's going to help other people who are maybe still in the thick of it right now. We have reached the finish line of the human race, and so we have four questions Uh for you that we ask all of our guests. This one I I kind of love um, because... I get lots of unsolicited advice because people love to offer their thoughts when you're trying to conceive (laughs) slash stick their oar in. And so I'm wondering what is the worst or most unhelpful piece of advice 
that you've been given in this process? Uh, well, I just remember being told by other people to be like, "Oh, just relax," you know, when you're trying to make the baby. Just relax. Try not to think. Of, just try not to think about it. Maybe you shouldn't work as much. Oh, Ooh. yeah, that one too. I my biggest one was um, at least you know you can get pregnant though. Yeah, that's another. And you're like, she doesn't actually get me any closer to having yeah. a baby. Yeah. So yeah, relax, was, enjoy it, have fun. It'll happen. It'll, It'll happen. happen. Yeah, that one's all Yeah, that's like yeah. enough to be like. Yeah, enjoy my fist in your face. Yeah, yeah. I'm so Blood relaxed. Boiling. Yeah, yeah, that. That's that is my answer yeah. to that. That's mm. an instant answer. Yeah. All right. Question two: What is the number one thing you'd say to somebody that's struggling with this journey, sort of now that you wish you had known from the outset? Feel the feels. Don't pretend that you're fine when you're not fine. When you're sad, be sad. When you're angry, be angry. It's okay to internally, and and you'll feel bad about it, but it's okay to internally want to punch someone in the face when they tell you that you're pregnant. Just don't actually punch them in the face. <laughs> um, but that that was probably it for me was like, um, yeah, just feel the feels. And when you do, I highly recommend give your time yourself and your body time to grieve when you if you do experience that loss because otherwise it just catches up with you later, which is, I, th- I think, what happened to us. And when we had that forced, like, six months of, like, not being able to try, that was, like, kind of when we took ownership of ourselves again. So feel the feels, control the controllables, and it'll work in one way or another. Or it'll, it might not. Or it might not, but hopefully I- it will. I'd say second, get second and third and fourth opinions too. I know, like, yeah. I wonder maybe if we'd have done that quicker, things might have been different. But then also, you're we are very blessed and really aware that mm. we're super lucky to be blessed that um, it happened. And so maybe I wouldn't change things because then they might not have worked the way they did. But if you want to potentially, I would say, if you wanted a faster process than what we had, I would maybe suggest getting second, third, fourth opinions if you haven't done that yet. Yeah. Question three, and this is kind of a twist on question two, but what would you tell someone who is supporting someone going through the process? Because people genuinely do want to help, but sometimes they don't know how, and so they say nothing, or they keep their distance, or they avoid the topic. What would you say to them? What I try to do is I make sure I tell them that their baby mattered, Mm. and reaching out to them on Mother's Day and remembering their their little bubba. Mm. Um, I remember my friend Nadia used to send me um, flowers. She sent me flowers on Mother's Day after we'd lost Sharky and I hadn't had another baby and it was a really awful day. And at the end of that day, she'd sent me flowers. Um, and I think just acknowledging that they have had a loss and making sure they're okay and just listening to them. And then sometimes I would just like send little things to make them laugh. So my friend went through it recently and every day I would send her a voice note of like a stupid song about how much I loved her or whatever. And then it was just like something in her day that made her smile. And just, yeah, always, I think that's... Yeah, you sound like an amazing friend. <laughs> I'm is. a voice note friend. People hate me for it. <laughs> she's, she's a great friend to a lot of people. Um, also another bit would be to be as self-aware as you can in the language that you use around people that are trying because not everybody who's trying has even had the point where they might have had a miscarriage. Like They might not even have got to that point of being able to say to each other they're pregnant at any point, which is, you know, obviously really super tough and brutal. And so I'm I'm always really mindful of, um, yeah, watching what your language is in and around it. It's those little things like complaining about, um, whatever's happening bad or whatever, you want to always be mindful that some people would love for that to be able to happen, for them to be frustrated yeah, no, with this No, you're giving me anxiety about complaining about Tyson's tantrum this morning. No, no, I'm not <laughs> talking about that. But that's, I think no, that tantrums it, are tantrums. But like, yeah. I'm, I'm more meaning like some people will tell you really deep stuff that they trust you with and then it's so easy for you to start talking about some shit that doesn't matter at all. It's like, mate, give them what they're due at the time because it's it's really, unless you've been in it, and a lot of people have been in it, but unless you've been in it, it's it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also this is really weird, but um, baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. 
that's my thing. I that's me. Or if you are going through the miscarriage, it's okay. Or you're going through the fertility moment, it's okay if you want to leave the baby shower when yeah, they or start. Not, or not go to it. Not go or to not it, yeah. go to it. Or if you want to leave the baby shower when they start opening the presents. That was always the hardest thing for me. My friends either didn't open the presents because they knew it was hard, or they didn't bat an eyelid where I was like, bye. Or a friend would be like, we're going to do the presents soon. I'd be like, see ya. Because yeah. that was the hardest. I don't know why. Looking at the little baby grows. Yeah, and, and being yeah, like, yeah, totally. I'll never get to, yeah. And so I think that was... That's a big one. But even if you have been through it, you know, like I don't get it right. I've been through it three times, you know. Yeah. You're not always going to get it right as long as you learn from it. And if you feel like you stuff it up, just just be like, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry, yeah. I fucked that up. My All right. To round us off, final question. Um, now, the fertility thing is such a journey and there's heartbreak and there's awkward bits and then there's funny bits like, you know, shaving pubes in front of mm-hmm. hot yeah. doctors and those sorts of things. Have you got any um, <laughs> other hilarious moments you could um, you could tell us about? Probably with Tyson after we'd had him, um, I'd had a Caesar and I, I thought that you'd just like jump up because everyone's like, two push to push, it's the easy option. Well, get fucked if you think a Caesar section is easy, by the way. <laughs> Both ways are hard. And um, so Bryce had to like take me to the toilet and I was like, he was helping me like sit down onto the toilet and my pad fell out. And so he had to like pick my pad up. But then when I stood up, he had to like wipe my blood off the floor and then replace my pad. And I was like, cool man like I have literally no dignity left so that was probably like my thing is like having to see Bryce um like mop up my fluids would be that it's a new level of intimacy between us (laughs) and then there was one part uh the second time I went into labor Bryce was like I was like oh you might want to tell BK you're not gonna be at work tomorrow and he was like we'll see see, we'll see how it goes blah blah blah. and so that whole night that I was like still in the hospital the midwives and I would be like oh Bryce you better get ready to go to work in (laughs) in a couple of hours and then we were listening to music and honestly it felt like I we'd been on a bender and Izzy one of the midwives started singing and Bryce was like, shh, and he went to say Sharon, but he, but he stopped because he was so tired and everyone thought that he was telling the wife to shut up. And that was a very- I think I might have been. No. Yeah. She was singing and he was like, Sharon. And we were all like, oh my God. Like we thought that he was like telling her to stop singing. Um, but those are probably my funny ones that I can think of. Yeah. Mine would be uh, when we were having, when we were trying to make Tyson, um, oh, that was great. you're having to like, obviously it can be, become weirdly um, scheduled, scheduled oh, yeah. and really unromantic <laughs> and then that's pressure on the dude because all all totally right. you're there for one job buddy mm-hmm. deliver the goods that's it that's like it. get that done and so that can be quite weirdly it's the one job that a guy sort of plays a big part in in those early stages right which is but can, can become like a weird mental block but I remember I'd had shoulder surgery and so I was in a sling and it was that time of the month so it was then it became a awkward uh, question of like well, how's this going to work if <laughs> I'm in a sling happen. and so doing it with a sling was um, was an interesting time. That was fun. And then uh, and then when it came, even before that, right, we had to we were testing um, when things hadn't gone well in that testing stage that we were talking about earlier. And one of them was going to the fertility place, and obviously they checked the sperm to see whether the sperm is healthy. Um, but to do that, they're like, you need to obviously provide um, a sperm test. So I was like, okay, cool, that's good. I know how this works. And they're like, so um, you go to that room there, do that, take it to the counter. Um, when you're done, I was like, okay, yep, cool, you beauty, all, see you later, all the best. And you're walking away, and it's quite a weird thing to obviously be walking away to do in, a, in another building, and you go on that door, and you shut the door, and you check that it's locked, and you're like, this is such a weird thing to be doing. You're like, and the, the, so on there was a pile of magazines, right? But the top of the pile was a New Zealand fishing magazine. And I was like, <laughs> who has been in here? Literally like one dude holding a 20-pound snapper. And I was like, Nothing has said New Zealand more than this moment right now than a 20-pound snapper at the top of the pile of these other types of magazines that may help uh, that situation. Anyway, so the job is done. I did not use the snapper. And then um, uh, took it. You're nervous. You're like, this is such a weird thing to be holding. And you're sort of holding it off to the side. And then um, went out the door, had forgotten every bit of information that was told to me as to where to go because it's such a strange feeling. And then went to this counter and there's a couple of people in front of me, and I'm sort of head down, and I'm like, mm-hmm. so he's like, I can I help you soon? I was like, oh yeah, just giving you this, like <laughs> off to the side. And uh, there's someone behind me, and I'm like, just giving you this. And she's like, sir, this is the radiology department. And I'd, <laughs> and I'd gone the wrong way, and oh, um, 
they did not need my sperm. They did not. That, it is also quite yeah. funny if, if when you're sitting and waiting for your husband to finish their <laughs> sperm sample is seeing all the dudes walk back from having their, like, alone time and they all come back and they're like, I don't know whether we have yours have, but that was weird. And they've all yeah. got this, like, sweaty, flustered, like... It's a uh, weird experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's an odd thing to do. We feel you on the scheduled sex thing. Yeah. Because when oh, we did that yeah. at the beginning of our process... Dan did a great job of trying to spice that up by coming <laughs> Don't out. Don't tell the story. <laughs> dressed up. So the first time he dressed up, he like got, he had a plaid shirt. He tucked it into his undies. Oh my god! Had a cowboy hat on and kind of came out and like you know yes. ready to ride your cowboy. Um, but my favourite one, and this tells you the timing of this. This must have been twenty twenty. He came out with a clipboard and he said. Oh. Kyoto Kato. Oh my like god. Ashley Bloomfield. At the <laughs> Amazing. That is Jay, fabulous. Got it going though. Got yeah. Going. Well, you were you were Ash, you were Ashley Blowfield. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Sorry. Right. I, I feel like, like we could talk to you guys podcast. forever. Um, yes, sorry, thanks for being so open sorry, and um, I just love that you're using your profile for such positive things. So thanks so much for joining us. Oh, yep. thanks for having us. Great and work on the podcast too. Yeah. I mean, you say that we're going to help people, but I think you'll be doing a lot more by doing a complete series of it with a whole lot of different guests. So good stuff. And, yeah. uh, and I wish anybody listening in any situation um, that you're in uh, truly good luck for anything that that goes your way because um yeah we both know how it feels from our point of view and our story and uh we can only wish that everybody else can be as privileged at some point and if you're not it doesn't matter as well you're still good people absolutely we'll talk all that love your work You've been listening to The Human Race, a podcast from Wabi Sabi Media and Stuff. Follow the show on Apple, Spotify or any other podcast app. And please leave a review. It helps other people discover this important content. You can also listen at stuff.co.nz slash thehumanrace. We'd also love to hear from you. Email thehumanrace at stuff.co.nz and follow us at facebook.com slash thehumanracenz or on Insta at thehumanracenz. The Human Race was produced by me, Dan Higgins. And me, Nadine Higgins. Audio editing and mixing by John Ropeha. The associate producer was Jen Black. And executive producer was Chris Reed. Thanks very much for listening.